Wow, that was so synchronized that Great. everyone thinks that we have one drink here. Yep. It's not one drink, Eric. No. It's more than one. Speaking of more than one. Yes, Eric, we are on day 308 today. Wow. That is way more than one. Uh, yeah, I'm not like a mathematician, so I don't know how many more than one it is, but I know it's a lot. It's a lot more. It's a lot. And we are going to read Acts chapter 22, uh-huh. starting with verse 30, uh-huh. through Acts... 26. Uh-huh. In other words, page 101 to 107. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. For all of you following along at home. Sure. In the classic tale, Wuthering Heights. Yeah. That's we haven't done this in a while, but welcome, everybody. Yeah, welcome. Chip and Eric, two semi-ordinary pastors. That's us. Reading an extraordinary book. That's this. To an amazing group of people. And if you don't know it, that's you. It is. Wow. Let's get to it, Eric. You know, we're growing by the day. Oh. There are so many people that I just know that are like, boom, I'm listening. Oh, really? Yeah. Growing by the day. Growing by the day. Wow. Yeah, I just met with someone that listens to us. Yep. Yeah, if they miss a day, which is rarely, they listen to us twice in one day. I have a coworker who listens to us. Her son listens to us. He goes to oh, Elyria man. also. Wow. And he went home sick today. Okay. And I jokingly said, make sure you listen to some Chip and Eric. And he said, actually... I'm going to on my way home. <laughs> that's, and it'll be all better. Yeah. That's what I said. You're going to be all better. So, Andrew, I hope you're feeling better. Yes, By Andrew, the time you hear this, I'm feel sure better. you are. Good job. Way to do it. We're very proud of you. Uh, fun fact about Andrew before we get started here, just okay. real quick. All right. He's got a sick mustache. So, nice job, Andrew, growing your mustache. Yeah. So, I hope it gets better soon. Yeah. All right. So, you can get the boogers out of your mustache. Please. <laughs> <laughs> the next day. The commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias the high priest commanded that those close to Paul slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, You must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I'm on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the councils, the, the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angel or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the, the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness here to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, We have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. 
Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining that Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock, and also take 200 spearmen, 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor, saying this, From Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding the religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death, but when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning, while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul in the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jews, Jewish elders and the lawyer Tertullus to present their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. You have provided a long period of peace for us Jews and with foresight have enacted reforms for us. For all of this, Your Excellency, we are very grateful to you. But I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of a cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining yourself. The other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything Tertullus was saying was true. The governor then motioned for Paul to speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone at the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of any city. These men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There's no crowd around me and no rioting, but some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they, had, if they have anything against me. 
Ask these men here what crime the Jewish High Council found me guilty of. <clears throat> Except for the one time I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. At that point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned to the hearing and said, Wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control in the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him. So he sent him quite often and talked with him. After two years went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus to, as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush him and kill him on the way. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea, and on the following day, he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I'm not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is an official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty of harming the Jews. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There's a prisoner here, he told them, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that the Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. When his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day in order Paul brought in, but the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about the religion and a dead man named Jesus, who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss when I know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor, so I ordered that he be held in custody until I arranged to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said. And Festus replied, you will, tomorrow. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived in the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But on my opinion, he has done nothing deserving of death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. 
So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you're an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jew Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people um, and in Jerusalem. And they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to, stay, to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything that I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus, I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now go to, get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that I must repent of their, that they all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets of Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be first risen from the dead. In this way, announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in the audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And, and that, that is, is our, our reading, reading today. today. Cliffhanger. Woo, that was powerful. I love it. Yep. Well, we read that powerful passage that you loved. I did. With two questions in mind. We did. What's this tell us about God? And what's this tell us about us? So, Chip, what's yep. this tell us about God? It tells me that if need be, God will slap us. Oh. 
Remember that? I, I saw. I, yeah. God will slap you. God's gonna slap. God's you, gonna bro. slap you. God will slap you. I love you. that. And it's true. If need be, God will slap you. You corrupt hypocrite. Yeah. Slap he'll, you. He'll 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 wake you up. He'll get your attention. Oh, he'll slap you in your sleep. Slap you in your sleep. Oh slap man. Slap you when you're awake. That's the worst way he'll to be. Slap slapped. you when you're standing. Slap you when you're sitting. Slap you if in need the morning. be, God will slap you to wake you up. Slap you in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> slap you at supper time. That's right. It's a good old slap from God. Slap fest. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I've been slapped many times, and I probably will be slapped a lot more. And just say, wake up, Chip. You know what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you thinking? You know, and all of us need a good old slap from God sometimes. And I think it's in in in, in some of it comes with. Um, the, the school of hard knocks by just tough situations. Some of it comes through um, bad decisions that we've made. Sometimes it comes from God, the Holy Spirit, as we read the word and he just wakes us up and says, you know, we got something going on. Sometimes it happens when things go crazy in society and we just need a good up wake, call, wake up call from God to say, hey, I'm in charge. You need me. I'm in control and you need help and let's go, you know, and and so I love that about God. I think he does it um, because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And sometimes we need a good old slap. God will like slap you. I love that. Yeah. That's good, Chip. Okay, what's this tell us about us? Yep. What this tells me about us is that, oh man, like I sound like a cheesy corporate trainer right now, but like every... Every obstacle is an opportunity, right? Isn't that like the cheesy, like, goofy corporate trainer, like, whatever? But, like, look at what Paul did. Yeah. He's standing in front of two of the most influential people in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And he, what's, what's he say? Does he say, like, hey, guys, like, let me go. I didn't do anything wrong. No, he's like, here's my story. This is my chance to tell you my story. This is my chance to try to convince you to become a Christian. I mean, even Agrippa's like, you think you're going to get me that easy? He's like, I don't know if it's going to be easy or hard. I don't know if it's going to be quick or not. Mm -hmm. But I hope so. Yeah. And I love that. And I was thinking as we read this, like, Felix was scared. Remember the first guy? He was scared when he heard about the judgment and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. So, and so he retires shortly after that. And I just instantly had this thought while we were reading. I'm like, I wonder if we're going to meet Felix in heaven. You know, the seed was planted. Okay. He had this fear of God, you know. And who knows, after he retired, what happened? He may have gone and found other believers and been like, Hey, so tell me more about this, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. It's just neat. And I got thinking about how there's going to be people in heaven that we're not maybe expecting. And I wonder if Felix, Festus, or Agrippa, or Bernice are going to be among those because of this story that we read today. And so I would just say what this tells me about us is that when things look horrible, if you keep your mind focused on the gospel and use every opportunity you're given to share the word of God, it's going to work out. Even if your life is taken from you, like Paul's will be, it's going to work out. And so I think that we have opportunities. Um, if we can just shake free of this idea that, oh, man, this is the worst, everything's terrible, it's going bad, everything's sideways. If we can shake our minds free of that and seize the opportunities God puts in front of us, then we have some really clear chances to do amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Who knows? Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. No we sweat. appreciate you guys. Yeah, man, I'm you guys are amazing. podcast. I have to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, you're under contract. Yeah. Okay, well. We're going to finish Acts tomorrow. Oh, wow, that was quick. Yep. She wins.
We're going to read a whole book of the Bible for several days in a row here. Or like oh, finish a book of the Bible. Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. I see that. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.